Blog Talk Radio. Show is now in the air, spotlighted on BadRedheadMedia.com as a top author podcast on the web today and called A Total Blast of a Show for Writers. My name is Robert Batista, and you may ask, why is the Funky Writer Show so terrific? Because I'm a writer, just like my guests, and know that words are the breath of life. Connect with the show on the exciting Twitter page by going to at the funky writer. My heroes aren't always wonderfully heroic. They are often people dumped into situations where they have to cope, and sometimes the situation makes them into kind of bad guys. That said, it is interesting to write a villain because I get to dip into that part of me that is selfish and greedy and hungry and kind of let the evil me that I know is in there come out a little. These are the revealing words of today's esteemed guest, author G. Lloyd Helm. Welcome to the Funky Writer Show, G. Lloyd Helm. Thank you, Robert. Thank you for having me. Gee, it's a major, major accomplishment to have penned the written word for 40 years, as you have. Let's go back to the beginning and talk about how you got started and what your first few works of writing were about. Well, I started really writing short stories and stuff when I was a real small kid, you know, about 12 or 13. Uh, But the first thing that I really set out to actually be a writer, in quotes, was a short story that I wrote in college about um, the Civil War, about a couple of guys caught in the middle of a shelling and not being able to see who was who, and it was a a rebel and and a Yankee, and they're talking during this, and all the time they're about to die. That That was my really first one. It wasn't fantastically good, but it wasn't bad. (laughs) Sounds very interesting, G. Um, I know you spent time in the military. How would you say being in this? That's not exactly so. Spent no time in the military in that I was a military spouse for 22 years. My (laughs) wife was the one who was in the military. (laughs) Oh, okay. So uh, I misread your bio. So, okay. Um, so I take it that you traveled a lot, though, as a military spouse. 
Oh, yes, a lot. We right. lived sure. in uh, Spain and Germany and Italy and in Virginia and Indiana and California and just and traveled a lot in all those places. Right. So my question is, how would you say doing all that traveling and seeing so much affected the way you write and also the stories that you've written? Oh, I'm sure it has affected me a lot. I know I work very hard at trying to bring the cultures that I have touched and been involved in into my stories. I'm working on a book right now of Spanish stories which are going to kind of meld into a novel. Uh, the, the stories are called uh, Tales of Segovia's Guitar, which I was running around with a bunch of Spanish musicians while I was there. The guy who lived next door to me owned a bar, and he played flute. So I actually wound up playing my guitar with him and a lot of his, a lot of his musician friends. So I try very hard to bring that in to the story. But by the same token, I also wrote a story set in Venice, where we, where I lived for three years. Wow. So that's how it affects me. I mean, I, I get absorbed into the uh, area where I'm living. <laughs> so let's talk about your latest publication, the last thing that you published and, uh, and have out. Um, why are you and why should we be excited about it? Well, because it's a little different view of the 1960s. Okay. It, it doesn't just touch the big stuff, which everybody knows. It touches the little more personal stuff, the the little more personal part of the sexual revolution and of the civil rights movement. Uh, it was all sort of, I was sort of on the, around the edges of all of that. Right. And I, I wanted basically um, my descendants to know where I was during that time. <laughs> you want to leave a history. <laughs> yeah, yes, very much yeah. so. So did you have to do any research? Did you have to go back to those times? And believe me, as you know, and I'm a product of those times, there's, there's, there's a whole potpourri of things to research and to see online about it. Did did you do any research uh, before writing the book on what you wanted to write about? Actually, no. Uh, everything that I put in has been a part of me forever. I tell people it took me 40 years to write this book. Right. And, and that's absolutely the truth. Uh, I started it, uh, you know, any number of times. So that at one point I had a thousand pages of garbage, which I pulled it all out and went through it again this last time, determined to actually finish this book. And turned out I had three books all in there, all sort of built around the same thing, only from different angles. Right. But as far as research, no, I didn't really need much research since everything is fiction, but it's all still based on me. Right, right. So everything that you wrote about, you basically lived. So yeah, oh, yeah, there exactly. was no research. There was no research needed. I right. get it. Um, it's been said, G, that you are a difficult author to pigeonhole and categorize. You've yeah. written science fiction, fantasy, romance, philosophy, religion. 
Right. Gee, why so many different topics, and do you have a favorite? <laughs> I really have no idea why. It is just that's sort of the way my life has gone. I mean, I, I majored in philosophy and history in college, and I've always been fascinated by philosophy especially. So many different points of view around one or two small things. Right. And that that's just pulled me in. And, of course, having read a ton of science fiction when I was a kid, I, I started out trying to write in science fiction. That's my first book, which wound up being uh, more fantasy than science fiction, but it started out to be science fiction. It started out to be like Conan the Barbarian, kind of. Right. And wound up being not that at all. It wound up being a fantasy about a man who could stop war. Very interesting. Gee, you've written so many stories. And, of course, well-developed characters drive every story. And yours are no different. Right. Where, did you, where do you get your characters from? Are they based on you, people you've known out of the cloud, or a combination of all the above? Oh, a combination of all of them there. And a, a lot of the people who appear in my, in my stories put a different name on them, and it'll be a real person. Right. I, I'm, I'm, I'm really terrible about that, you know. I can't just make them up whole. I can take a whole basic person and then change a couple of things inside it to give them quirks or whatever. But right. I just steal real people. I, I don't make them up from the ground up. I know you've written quite a few short stories, and I love yeah. the short story myself. What is it about shorties that so many of us writers fall in love with? I really wish I knew because they they drive me crazy. I, I love them, <laughs> but they make me nuts. Uh, but it's to be able to tell a small piece of life. And if you write a book, you wind up having a whole series of life. But if you write a short story, you have just this little piece. You get acquainted with the people and the places in it very quickly, and they're very satisfying because when you end up doing them, the story is done. It doesn't go, oh, I wonder what happened next. Yeah, I would say that... The short story is more about the actual story than character-driven. Oh, yeah, very um, much because so. Because you really don't get a chance really to develop the character, so it has to be boom, the bang, the story. You know, you right. have to the, hit them the hard, and then more, boom, before you know it, it's over. Right, the plot is more more uh, interesting or more necessary than character development. Although, with a lot of uh, my short stories, especially the ones in the last book of short stories that I put out. There is character development in them because the same guys are in all of the stories. Oh, okay, right. Yeah, so that makes you, you sense. Can wind up, you can wind up develop them, developing them almost like it's a novel. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, gee, there's a story you've written and published called Other Doors. Ben right. Fordham meets a tattoo artist in a bar, and a whole can of worms up, opens up. 
Oh, Talk yeah. about the germination of this story and why did you feel the need to write this one story, Other Doors? Well, that's the one that's closest to my heart, really. Uh, that's the one I was talking about. It wound up being a fantasy about a man who could stop war. Right. I, uh, I have always been fascinated by tattoos. I don't have any. I kept threatening my wife that I was going to get one, and she kept saying, no, I'll kill you. But she finally, finally said, okay, if you must have one, you can go get one, but I haven't gone and gotten it yet. But the idea that this guy, you, you talked about a man being suddenly dropped into a situation that he doesn't really have any control over. Well, that right. was also the, the essence of Ben Fordham. He is all of a sudden stolen out of this world, by a magical tattoo and dumped into another world where he's a victim completely, except it turns out he's also a man who's got a lot of power. He's got the power of the gods, as a matter of fact. And in in that power of the gods, he stops the world, literally. So why is this story so close to your heart? Well... I have had so many people and been so connected with military for generations right. that I would like to stop war. I'm, I'm dead serious about that. Anybody who looks at my Facebook stuff, that's, I'm constantly on about that. And I think that's one of the proudest things that I've got is my little book about peace because I sold so many of them. On military bases, my little book about peace has gone to every war zone in the world in the last since 1996 when it came out, and I I hope it has done a little bit to maybe try and turn humans more civilized. Well, I'm with you on that, G, uh, and I'm I'm really proud of that accomplishment for you about uh, having those on so many military bases. That's such a great thing. That's awesome. Um, G, we've heard stories of totalitarian regimes banning and burning books throughout oh, history. Yeah. And there was a great book by Ray Bradbury called Fahrenheit 451 that dealt with this subject. Legend has it that two of your books were banned from Federal Bureau of Prisons. Under what circumstances were they pulled, and how did this make you feel when it happened? And lastly, did you do anything about it? Well, how it happened was, all of a sudden, the psychologists took over and began saying that the inmates shouldn't dwell in fantasy lands anymore. They should deal with the reality of their situation. So it wasn't just me. It was a lot of other fantasy and, quote, fantasy books that got pulled out. So how did I feel about it? It was a combination of great anger and great pride. I mean, hell, I'm up there with uh, with uh, Mark Twain. He's been banned all over the place and with Ray Bradbury. You know, uh, hey, if I can get banned like these guys, I love it. But at the same time, it made me very angry because I right. am one of those people who believes that there should be no book burning at all. I don't care what kind of book you have written or what you put in it. It should be out there free to be 
taken and used and studied by the public. And what could I do about it? Not too much. Uh, I was going to ask, Gary, did they give you an appeal process, or was this just No, there was no real appeal process, no. I just was informed one day. I I had sent uh, a couple of books to one of the guys that was in prison, and they came back. Uh, They they pulled out, and the the little letter in it gave that reason that I just gave you there, that these books are now officially banned. And I just, what? What kind of craziness is this? And now I kind of cheat on some of these. Uh, I just sent a copy of my new book, um, um, uh, Serpents and Doves, to an inmate, but I made sure that it was sent from a, quote, reputable publisher bookseller, which is me, actually. (laughs) And uh, apparently it got through because at least it hasn't bounced back yet. I'm just I'm just hoping. You also wrote a romance novel called Sometimes in Dreams. Yeah, that's the Talk one that's about, set. That's the one yeah. that's set in Venice. Talk about the feedback this book received from its readers. Specifically, how was it received by women? Did the females like the story? No. Almost to a woman, they didn't like it. But having said that, I was out selling books the other day, and a lady came by looking at the at my book stacked up there, and she picked up a copy of Sometimes in Dreams. And I started my spiel about how it's a kind of a twisted romance set in Italy, and she, she says, oh, I know what, I love this book. I bought it a couple of times ago when I saw you somewhere else, and I love this book. <laughs> really? I was just completely surprised. But for the most part, the women who have read it, including my wife, who is a really accurate critic, she didn't like it a bit. She said, no, these guys, they wouldn't. But added to that, because of the location and a little bit of what it says, it has been compared with uh, Ernest Hemingway's Across the River and Into the Trees, which is basically the same set, slightly different timing. And, hey, it's not one of uh, Papa's best, but I don't care. Somebody compared me to Ernest Hemingway. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that works for me. (laughs) I'm sure it worked for you. But you know what? It's crazy. One five-star Amazon review of this book, Sometimes in Dreams, by Snowy Owl 17, states in part, Sometimes in Dreams is a beautifully, smartly written story of a man torn between two loves. Daniel, still married, still loves his wife, despite falling for much younger Kit. The novel takes the reader on a leisurely, sensual journey of love at first sight versus moral obligation. The struggle is set mostly in Italy against a backdrop of disrupted military service life. It reads almost like a Greek tragedy, only better. It kept my interest and had much to offer, a delight to read. G.L. Helm painted a clear picture of the human condition and pegged the irony of a man getting caught up in a no-win situation. Gee, what struck me about this review was the line, G.L. Helm painted a clear picture of the human condition. That tells me you did a masterful job in fleshing out your story. Would you agree, Gary? I 
I would have thought so, yeah, but I, I haven't read that review. <laughs> I'm going to have to look that one up. But when they say you painted a clear picture, it says you just did a masterful job of telling your story. Yeah, that, that's what they say. And I thought I had done a pretty good job myself, you know. And, and I have met a lot of other people, men especially, who understood. You know, they got it more than women. I, there, there is such a dichotomy between men and women that uh, I don't think there really must be a feminist mystique, you know, and the same there's, there's a masculine mystique. And we don't understand one another hardly at all, I don't think. And the crazy thing also is, Gary, is that more women buy books than men. Yeah, absolutely. More women read books than men. So that dichotomy is just off the charts. But, yes. Gary, let's talk about the publishing process. Process. Specifically, okay. your, specifically your novels. Did you go through the mainstream? Was it independently published, or did you well, self-publish? I started out trying to go strictly through the mainstream, but I literally, literally collected a thousand rejects. I still got them. And then I said to myself, Self, if you ever want to see this thing in print, you're going to have to do it yourself. So I put together a little publishing company called Mouse Prince Publishing, and I published Other Doors. That's when I began selling it on base, okay, because that was my easy outlet. It was hard right. to get anybody like Barnes & Noble or any of – at the time there were a lot of independent bookstores, but even the independent bookstores, now we don't want to talk about this. You know, it's some unknown. But – I went ahead and kept selling and kept writing, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I don't remember why or what connection was, but out of nowhere, an outfit out of uh, out of Oregon called Rogue Phoenix Publishing called me up or emailed me and said, "Hey, uh, would you like to have this book republished?" And I said, "Yeah, hell yes, absolutely." So they, they took the original manuscript and re-edited it and did a much better job than I did <laughs> and uh, that reissued it. And since then, they have published everything with the exception of Sometimes in Dreams. Uh, Sometimes in Dreams was published by another outfit completely who came about it the same way. I, I sent it to them uh, from uh, an email notification, and they sent back, yeah, okay, let's do this. So... <laughs> But as far as publishing, I have uh, all my short stories are published in like little anthologies and stuff all over the place, as well right. as a couple of volumes of just my short stories. So publishing, it's still pretty much a mystery to me. I, I go with with uh, Rogue Phoenix. I send them something, and they say, "Okay, let's go," and they publish it. That's Some what happened authors, with the new one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's what, authors, exactly what happened with the new one. Oh, okay. Go ahead. Uh, some authors can pull out a pen or laptop and write anywhere at any time, but others need a special time and place to be creative. Which one are you? <laughs> yes. If I'm, if I'm really working good, if I'm really caught up in it, I, I can work anywhere. 
But if I'm having to force, which I do a lot because I don't really like the process. Right. If I'm having to force, I need to be somewhere like I am right now here in my in my office in front of my computer so that I can scream at myself and throw things and all kinds of stuff in order to get what I need to get done. But I, I have written uh, most of my second book, uh, Design, was written in a uh, uh, public library in uh, Germany, in Frankfurt, Germany. Wow. Interesting. Let's talk about G.L. Helm, the person. Where okay. did you grow up, and what was your childhood like? Well, I mostly grew up. The story goes that I started traveling up and down Route 66 when I was three years old. We lived in Arkansas, and we lived in California, and then back in Arkansas, and then back in California, but ultimately then in California in the San Fernando Valley. Uh, As far as that goes, it was relatively idyllic, but it was kind of a tough neighborhood, so I learned to be kind of a hard guy in some ways. But I'm also a basic coward here. (laughs) If, If I must fight, it's going to have to go hard and fast so I can run. Yeah, it's just, that, that's just sort of the, the way my life has gone, you know. Uh, I went to uh, public school for a long time, but then because my mother was a teacher in a private school, well, we got half the cost for me to go to a private school. So when I was in sixth grade, I started in this private school, which a lot of that is in my new book, Serpents and Doves is about, has the beginnings of when I started school in sixth grade in private school. And beyond that, then, I went to Tennessee to go to college, Uh, came out of there and uh, went to scrambling to stay alive when I first got married. And uh, then, because of scrambling to stay alive, we wound up going in the uh, Air Force. My wife joined the Air Force, and I wound up raising two sons and traipsing all over the world as a camp follower. Very interesting. So that's so, my life. <laughs> so what were some of the books and authors that inspired you in your youth? Most of them were... Uh, of the science fiction variety. I mean, I read okay. Robert Heinlein, everything. Uh, Ray Bradbury, everything. Uh, Asimov, everything. And I appreciated Asimov especially. And then, right. out, of the, out of the greatest luck in my life, and because of the Air Force, I actually got to spend the day with Isaac Asimov. Wow. Was, it was fantastic. He came, How cool is that? Yeah, we were in Virginia, and uh, he came to visit uh, the uh, Air Force Base, which was also the uh, base who was uh, developing the uh, heat shield tiles for uh, Discovery. So he actually came down to see those, and I had a friend who was working on that, and he called us in, and we went and had breakfast, and had lunch, and listen to him talk, and got to ask him a lot of questions. And then later I got to go to uh, a big arena and listen to his 
uh, lecture on that there. It was fantastic. It was wonderful. And there was so much of his work that actually came through in what he had been saying. You know, it's just, damn, this is fantastic. But let me see who else. Uh, a little later, some of the more classy writers, like uh, like Hemingway and uh, John Steinbeck. I, I especially like John Steinbeck because I, I, I really, really feel for, like, the Joad family because they are – my family was a bunch of Okies, too, only they were post-World War II Okies. Right. But in a lot of ways, it was very much the same with us as it was with the Joad family. So I really identified a lot with uh, with those. Yes, uh, Steinbeck was one of my favorites also, The Grapes of Wrath. That, that oh, was yeah. some book. That was a great yeah. movie, too. Um, yeah. I'd like to talk about something that, to me, is very important in being a successful author. That okay. is marketing and building an audience for your writing. Yes, Gary, absolutely. how have you handled this aspect of the process? Well, not well. The way I have done it mostly is I go out to all kinds of festivals all over the place and sell books. I, uh, I talk to, about them on, uh, online, on Facebook, and on Twitter, uh, and people cross the street when they see me coming, because they know that invariably I'm going to talk about books. <laughs> I mean, you know, this guy is so boring, he always got to talk about books. There goes that book guy again. <laughs> That's it. But I get, I get invites from all over the place. Now, oh, you're going to come and sell books at our, I'm going to do one, what, next weekend? Uh, over in a place called Green Valley that's uh, the uh, Cherry, Cherry Festival. And what that has to do with books, I don't know, but they want me to come, and I will certainly never turn down the opportunity. That's right. That's right. Um, Gary, in closing, of all the potpourri of characters you've written and created, male, female, hero, villain, which one stayed with you the longest after the story was finished, and why? Oh, boy, that's a hard question. Uh, in my in my book, World Without End, Joshua, he is kind of one of the major protagonists, but he stayed with me, is still with me in a lot of ways, because right. he, he's an author who has written several books, and when he discovers he's about to die, he sets out to find a new young author to take over the world that he has created so that it'll be a world without end. But Joshua is was with me a lot and is still with me. Excellent, excellent. Um, so what's next for G.L. Helm? I know you said you're working on another story. Um, what other irons do you have in the fire coming up? Well, I usually have two or three stories going, and it's the same way this time. Uh, the main thing that I'm working on right now is a script. For other doors, uh, with all of the uh, strongman stories going on out there, the the big one lately has been the gods of Egypt. I figured it might really work, so I can do this. So I'll build a script and you know get it on uh, get it on the blacklist. 
I have a script on the blacklist already, a script for uh, sometimes in dreams. Right. Uh, and I would like to get uh, other doors on the blacklist. I'm also still, of course, working on short stories. Uh, I have a couple of more uh, Big Dave stories, which are in various states of completion, which th- those are the ones that uh, I've sold a lot of those. My, my, my last book before this novel that just came out is called, uh, okay, Gary, come on, what is it called? Uh, it's called um, oh, uh, Flying Saucers, oh, Crane Wheels, Flying Saucers, and the Ghost of Tiburcio Vazquez. And those are all stories of uh, Big Dave Dodge and me and the trouble we get into around the Antelope Valley. <laughs> and I, I have more of those stories coming out. The, the book has got like nine stories in it, and I've got three more now, so I'm working on another book of Big Dave stories. So if someone wants to contact you, please give out any contact information or your website, um, how people can follow you. Uh, please give out any information you'd like. My website is I don't really have one. I use Facebook, so it is uh, Facebook slash GL Helm, and you'll go there. You'll be able to see my books, be able to see me, be able to send me messages or whatever. Uh you can buy my books on Amazon. Just go to Amazon and put my name, G. Lloyd Helm, in, and it'll take you right to it. Uh, same with Barnes & Noble. Uh, same with Rogue Phoenix. Uh, I'm on Twitter. I, I don't go on there very much because I don't really have that much to say in 140 characters, <laughs> you know. Uh, my, my, my tend to be a little bit more long-winded than that. Uh, but people are welcome to email me at ghelm11109 at earthlink.net. This has been the Funky Writer Show with me, Robert Batista. I am at, at author R. Batista on Twitter. Look for my free short stories, Carmela's Dream and My Baby Has No Name on smashwords.com. My guest has been the award-winning author, G. Lloyd Helm, or we call him G. Thank you so much, Gary, for being a guest on the Thank Funky you Writer me. Show. It's been great. Thank you. Bye now. Bye-bye now. <laughs>